Hey everyone, welcome to Be The Change. My name is Lily Mott, and today I'm going to be talking about how change comes when you're in it for the long haul. Rhiannon Osborne is a health justice advocate who believes that health is political and ecological. I really enjoyed learning from and talking with Rhiannon, so without further ado, let's get started with this episode featuring Rhiannon Osborne. So I'm a final year medical student um, and I would say that the work that I do comes from a place of a point in my training where I was really disillusioned because I felt that as health professionals, we were being asked to attempt and often not succeed at picking up the pieces of and just incredibly broken social and economic system. So the issue which I kind of like organize around, but it's obviously connected to lots of other issues is like kind of comes under the umbrella term of health justice. Um, And what health justice kind of is, is engaging with the, what, what many of us know through like our lived experiences, but also like what we know through stories, through research, through, through so, so much is that systems of oppression and injustice become embodied um, as health inequalities, as differential outcomes in health, as so many other different things, as mental, um, as mental and psychological illness. So the issue of health justice aims to organize around that point, not just at the point of health systems, right? Because when you're at a health system kind of um, health systems are so, so important. Access to healthcare is so, so important. And that's something that I do work on a lot. But what health justice is really about is actually like abolishing the conditions of sickness in the first place, right? So like, instead of asking like, okay, like how do we treat this person's diabetes? Thinking on a bigger scale of like, okay, why does this person have diabetes? Is it because they are systematically denied access to food? Is it because they are under like intense amounts of stress because of workplace exploitation? Is it because they were displaced from their homeland by an extractive industry? Or is it because they are like in a super polluted area of the UK, which we know is like linked to a huge number of chronic diseases and thinking about, okay, what are the political, social, economic and environmental conditions which result in injustice, which then result in health inequalities? And obviously all of those things are super interlinked so, so yeah, so that's how I would say I organize is around the idea of health justice, not just as being able to access healthcare when you need it, but like fundamentally abolishing a system which is built on like death and exploitation, basically of people and planet and building something else in its place. And then using health justice as a frame to contribute to the super varied different ways in which you can contribute to systemic change so like i wouldn't call health justice the theory or anything for how to go about societal transformation i would i think it's a a contribution to kind of multi-dimensional movements um and it's super interrelated and you know i would 
I would be embarrassed to be in this space if it wasn't super interrelated with things like police and prison abolition, with black liberation, with environmental justice, with decolonization, with gender justice and all of these different issues, disability justice, because like fundamentally, these are all like embodied these are these are all oppressions which become embodied and these all come from a colonial capitalist system designed to exploit people and planet so health justice is like the lens with which i work and it's one way of contributing to movements for social transformation that's so interesting and thank you for explaining all of that so you're talking about all of these topics that you're so passionate about and you're so knowledgeable about so i would love to know more about how you got started with doing this work can you tell me about that journey for you to really begin with your activism and your advocacy so i guess yeah for maybe some more context like i do do some research now and research is a big part of what I do but I spend the vast majority of my time doing kind of political organizing work and I'm in that work kind of now and I guess the alternative is that I'm not like trying to work for the WHO or the UN in global health or I'm not trying to um yeah like work my way up the medical ladder and I guess the reason why I'm in that space is yeah, so many reasons, but because I think that the mass social mass social movements are the only way we're going to get ourselves out of this mess, right? Because like we're in a system where we have like just horrendous global inequality, horrendous ecological collapse, um, and that is a system of power and profit. And then thinking about okay, how do we build enough power to fight back against that system and to build something better? And I think that social movements are basically the only way we're going to do that we're not going to get we're not going to be able to achieve like a just flourishing society where everyone is collectively liberated by like relying on billionaires who profit from the system to like magically do something nice so i guess i'm in this space because and the work that i do is because that i think that that's the most effective way to create change and it's also a space where i learn a lot where i grow a lot where i have like a lot of loving friendships and relationships so and then how I got to that space was, I guess, being very, very disillusioned. And uh, so maybe we're looking at, I don't know, maybe like I, I was it was building before this, but I guess probably the peak of disillusionment was around my second year of medical school and being yeah, really, really unhappy, really, really disillusioned and feeling like, you know, there must be something more to these problems, which I'm being told will be solved in X, Y, Z ways. And I was like, nah, I don't think that's going to happen. So I, yeah, and then I started getting involved with some student organizing. Then I took a bit of time out for my degree, did some internships and basically was, I guess, lucky enough to be guided by some really wonderful people along the way who kind of saw that I kind of got it, but also needed more guidance, needed to learn a lot more. And yeah, really took my hand and introduced me to different organizing spaces. Um, so like the first proper organizing space I was in is uh, called Universities Allied for Essential Medicines, um, which is a global access to medicines kind of radical student movement. So, and then kind of once you've kind of started organizing, I think you quite quickly become, yeah, become, I think it's hard to stop once you've started because yeah, but it's just like, a, in many ways a really beautiful and wonderful a, and wonderful space to be 
so yeah so I'd say and then kind of after that as an access to medicines activist um was looking at a lot of issues around corporate power and neocolonialism um which leads you uh quite clearly into the climate crisis um and many other global issues um and local issues um because the global is the local and vice versa but anyway i digress so yeah so i would say that it came from a place of disillusionment and i am doing organizing now which i'm really enjoying and really proud of because lots of people along the way um who have been doing this work for a lot longer than i have kind of took me in and showed me places to learn places to grow places to organize yeah I think that's so, so interesting, and it spurs a lot of other questions for me. So I would love to talk more about when you mentioned the local and global connection in your work. Can you tell me some about the projects you're working on and how they may have both a global and a local impact? I'd love to know more about that connection between those different types of change in your mind. Cool. I guess like the thing with systemic issues is that they can often feel like super kind of out of reach. Like you can see how they impact people's lives. You can see how they impact your life. But it's like, ah, this is a huge like global system. This is capitalism. This is colonialism. This is like global racism. But the these systems are like implemented and replicated at all levels, right? So they, yeah, they are like created at the international, the national and the local levels, but fundam- like fundamentally, I, maybe, maybe I wouldn't say fundamentally actually, but like we are, we're in a crisis of care and disconnection in many ways. The neoliberal order teaches us not to care about each other, teaches us not to care about the land, not to care about non-human animals. Uh, and it teaches us that we are kind of homo economicus, just looking out for yourself, um, you know, there's Margaret Thatcher famously saying that there's no society anymore. There's just individuals. And these are things which manifest kind of very in your face at the local level. So we often think of systems as kind of like these big things, but really they are they are the fabric of our communities, the ideologies which govern our economic system. All of these things manifest and are recreated and can be transformed or abolished and replaced in the communities as well. So for example, like the place where I live, Cambridge is the most unequal city in the UK. We have a university, which which I go to, um, which, you know, has a deep, deep, deep legacy of um, engaging with horrific industries and being part of the slave trade. And yeah, and still to this day works with a lot of oil and arms companies. And this, but this also, manifest at the local level where you have a situation where the university has a lot of money many of the people attending and working at the university have a lot of money not everyone but like the university as an institution has a lot of money and the rest of cambridge is incredibly poor and so the work some lots of the work that i do is centered in my locality and trying to tackle inequality locally so i'm part of a community kitchen and I think lots of these projects that I talk about also center around the concept of mutual aid. And I think mutual aid is so, so incredibly important. And I think that, you know, in the context where corporations and the state are, you know, I mean, they're not designed to look after people, but they're not, they're not doing that, right? The showing up to care for each other is so, so, so important, especially in the context of the like systems which tell you not to care about each other, right? Which tell you that you're just individuals. Because also 
who are you doing this for if not your community not even just like in your locality you know like global community and global justice we're doing this for people right we're doing this because we care about people and we love people so it feels kind of strange to engage in like activism work and then at the same time be disconnected from people right like um so and this is one of the many reasons why I think mutual aid is so so important I think there's practical aspects of mutual aid which are so important like meeting people's needs in the context of a system which is refusing to do that and is actively causing harm um but then there's also things like um like the concept of rehearsing freedoms right of like okay well like how do we if the system isn't going to change how do we kind of practice and rehearse the world that we want to usher in the world that we want to see in our communities um how can we act in a in a way which is in line with our values and how can we try and bring that world into fruition in our own communities um so there's kind of like the practical there's like birthing new worlds by trying to do things differently in the where yeah where you live and then there's also the political like there is no division really between political campaigning and meeting people's material needs right they're all so they're all so intertwined like is a it is an act of politics and act of solidarity to feed your community right that's not separate to doing like campaigning or food justice it is like it is political to set up like some of my friends have set up a solidarity fund where uh like people donate uh and there's no kind of state questions asked about why do you need this money we don't believe that you need this money but where we can do wealth redistribution within our community ourselves so yeah I've kind of like mentioned a couple of the projects I'm working on but mostly they're to do with um supporting people to survive through this violent system supporting each other um to survive through this violent system through things like yeah food cooperatives um kitchens community gardens community farms um but also I think the other really important thing is that if we're gonna if we're gonna do this right if we're serious about making mass systemic change the people need to be mobilized and I think like social media is useful in many ways but like deep deep mobilizing deep deep organizing comes from like developing bonds often like place-based but not just place-based but community bonds and developing like it could be like a national campaign which has local chapters for example but building a strong movement needs to be so so deeply connected to people that local organizing is an absolutely fundamental pillar of any campaign or any kind of strategy to try and achieve systemic change um so yeah so i think there's like there's the practical there's the organizing aspect um there's trying to like rehearse what it would be like to um yeah to live in a better world and kind of playing around and experimenting with doing things um with doing things with, with doing things differently so yeah i think that's why i love doing kind of local community work oh and rehearsing freedoms is um uh from Ruth Wilson Gilmore's concept that we need to rehearse the social order coming into being um, to kind of envisage and practice new worlds. And I was introduced to that concept through a really great group called Healing Justice London. So yeah, just also to credit that as well. 
Thank you so much for explaining that. And I'm so glad that you touched on all of those topics because I feel like I haven't really gotten to talk about some of them on the podcast or not as much as I would have liked. So thank you so much for bringing them up. So I have one last question for you. Lots of young people want to create change and they want to make a difference, but they may not know where to get started with that work. Do you have any advice for those people who may be listening? Um, yeah, I would say, firstly, that's great. Woo. But I think the second thing is, is this like, try and rid yourself of the idea that change comes from exceptional individuals acting alone. Try and rid yourself of the idea that change comes from you kind of like changing what you buy um and think and then kind of think okay I th- well I guess there's a number of different ways in which you can get into organizing and get into kind of movements for systemic change I think the first one is kind of take that step and realize it's not something that you can do on your own Right. So then the question is, okay, do I want to join a group? Do I want to join a community group? Do I want to join a campaigning group? Do I want to join a research group and think about, okay, what are the skills which I have? And also what are the things I enjoy? Like what are the things I love doing? And think about what are the topics that you might want to work on? Obviously everything is so interconnected, but think about, okay, where are the areas of interest, which I have, which I might want to learn more about what are the skills I have, or what is the work that I really enjoy doing? And then I think the first step is to find a group or a collective which resonates, which resonates with you and to then kind of join and get started and like just have an open mind and just kind of throw yourself in. And, you know, you can make tea if you want. You can run the social media campaign. You can run well-being sessions. Yeah, there's so many different things to do within movements. But I think the key to all of it is finding a group of people who you resonate with. And I think, yeah, and I think it's also really key to, because you don't have to join every single group, right? You don't have, you can't, and you can't join every single group. And you don't have to like every single group. Like, I think, you know, just, a group may like say claim to be working on social justice issues but may like have lots of problems with like internal discrimination or like super hierarchical practices and you can say okay well like that's not for me right so I think yeah finding a space where you feel like comfortable valued and you're kind of interested and passionate about the work that they're doing I think is a great place to start and I think those spaces are often closer to you than they think they are like they might be geographically closer close to you in your community they might be close to you through kind of touch points you already have in your life so like your workplace your school yeah so that's kind of what I would what I would say and then I guess the other thing I would say is that like often when people get into kind of organizing work there is this sense of urgency and I definitely had that for a really really long time of like ah, everything's so bad. I have to do everything so urgently and I would burn out and get super tired. And I think the key thing is to remember is that this is generation, like a year's generations. Struggle is like across centuries, right? Struggle is not like just you on your own, uh, like feeling that you want to do something like being part of trying to make systemic change means joining like a a beautiful and long lineage of different interconnected struggles against systems, against systems of oppression. So yes, especially with the climate crisis, things are really, really urgent, but try not to absorb the urgency culture um, that is kind of instilled in us too much and be like, okay, I, I'm, I want, I want to join the people um, who are working on this now, who've worked on this before and approach it with, with humility, you know, I want to contribute. Where is the best way that I can contribute and joy? I want to enjoy the work that I'm doing and I guess kind of get ready to be in it for the long haul.
I learned so much from talking with Rhiannon, and I was so inspired when I finished up my conversation with her. I think Rhiannon's commitment to health justice, climate activism, and the other intersectional causes she's working on really comes through when she discusses those issues, and I was so motivated by that. I want to highlight Rhiannon's last few words of advice about being in it for the long haul. I think with Rhiannon's story, that phrase made me think not only about how long in terms of days, months, and years, but also about how much of herself Rhiannon has committed. Not only should you be ready to work for a long time on an issue like climate change, but you should also be ready to commit a lot of your energy, your brain power, and your heart to that issue as well, which I think is all part of the long haul when it comes to activism. I think through her commitment to her intersectional activism, Rhiannon really embodies her own advice, and I think her story is an example of how change comes when you're in it for the long haul. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and you can find Rhiannon on Instagram at Osborne underscore Rhiannon to get connected with her. If you want to talk about anything I mentioned, please reach out to me by email at lily at bethechangepodcast.org or on Instagram at bethechangepodcast. Tune in for my next episode, but until then, be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye, guys.